Have your views about your financial situation and your financial well-being changed at all since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic? There's no question that the pandemic has changed much about our lives and what we think is important and unimportant, such as how we feel about and address mental health issues and our views around work-life balance. Something most of us haven't talked a lot about are our changes in perception around money, such as how important is financial security and what does that mean exactly? What's the true value of self-care and can things like my credit score help? Well, today's episode of Career Money, episode 276, we're talking with Millie Mittal, a VP of Capital One, about Capital One's recent financial well-being survey, on which they polled individuals about their views on various aspects of money, both pre- and post-pandemic. You know we love talking about money, and we love, love, love data on the Career Money podcast. Millie shares her personal insights into this interesting data, along with tools and resources that we can all use to improve our well-being, which includes our mental, physical, and financial well-being. So let's dive into this great info on the show. Here we go. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome, Millie Mattal from Capital One to the Queer Money Podcast. We are excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, And we're excited to have this conversation today because Capital One has done an amazing study that's comparing people's perceptions about money since the pandemic. And the COVID-19 pandemic has has been life-changing in so many ways. And I think a topic that most of the zeitgeist forgets about is how people's perceptions have changed with money specifically and how that can affect so many aspects of our lives more broadly defined as our, our financial well-being. Um, so we're excited to, to dive into uh, the what you found in this study and how uh, we and Capital One can help the public with their challenges with financial well-being. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm totally psyched to talk about this topic and share what we learned. Yeah, John and I are are data and money nerds, and so when data and money come together, <laughs> we get a little bit more geeky, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the perfect smoothie, you know, yeah. when you get a good smoothie. <laughs> so yeah, um, well, I guess Capital One and you guys have that in common. Yeah, exactly. We're data and money nerds too. So. Exactly. So um, just to kick the conversation off, do you mind just kind of giving us a high level overview of of the Capital One survey? Yeah, sure. So just this past July, we conducted a study of about 2,000 people, representative sample of Americans, in an effort to understand the financial, mental, and physical health of consumers around, you know, what, a year and a half into the pandemic. You know, we understand there have been a range of impacts on on people, like ranging from job loss in, in many circumstances to watching your investments uh, value kind of plummet for some period of time to grappling with uh, changes in the housing market. You know, it, there's just been so many different impacts going on all at the same time and recognizing that people's values uh, and were shifting in tandem. We thought it was an important thing to try to understand, you know, what is what is the new money mindset look like? And is this something that's really going to shift how people think about their financial well-being? Absolutely. Yes, it's interesting that so many of us kind of look back to pivotal moments in our lives and think about when those moments happened and how they changed us. And I think a lot of folks are going to look back at 2020, 2021 at the changes that that has had on them 
I think mentally is a big one, right? And then I think in some cases, mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks who that this has had a big financial impact on as well. Yeah, I, do, I think that yeah, something absolutely. that many of us forget is is exactly how life was changing before our eyes rapidly as the pandemic was starting. I, I remember David and I were sitting at our desks and there there were days that I just felt like I had to hold on to the desk because the market was dropping, business opportunities were going away, everything in our business was changing and our financial situation was changing. And it was just like, oh my goodness, I, I know that we, we have our emergency savings, we're prepared for that. When the tires blow out, we're, tear- we're prepared if we need to replace the, the boiler, but are we prepared for a global pandemic? I mean, I know that's something I never thought about in all the years that we've talked about having an emergency savings account, and then to sort of see what was going on in the financial sphere um, during, at the beginning of the pandemic it was, it was really disrupting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the scale of it was so un- unprecedented, as you said, right? And, you know, it's interesting to think about for so many Americans, I think, like you said, we ha- like yes, we're so many people are are prepared for the the smaller unexpected things that might happen. You use the flat tire example. Unfortunately, so many people pre-pandemic also were not quite in a place of being prepared for those types of day-to-day unexpected expenses. And then you think about the scale of impact of the pandemic put on their finances is even more massive. But yeah, it was a crazy time. I remember we were actually about to close on a house the week that everything oh, was kind of coming. To, to bear, and we decided to back out at the last minute. Luckily, within the contingency period, just as we were kind of saying, "Gosh, are we going to pour all of our savings into at this really volatile time into a new house?" So exactly. So I think what we're all sort of scratching the surface in a way is this concept of financial well-being. Right? What does that do to your psyche if you're in the middle of signing? 20,000 pages worth of documents to buy a home <laughs> um, as, as a global pandemic is encroaching uh, on, the, on the world. And so how does the data from the study connect back to Capital One's financial well-being efforts? I know you do a lot of work in that area. And so how does that all tie together? Yeah. So as you might expect, uh, what some of the interesting things that we found were that you know, 56% of survey respondents did say that the concept, their concept of financial well-being has changed since the start of the pandemic. And just slightly more than that, 58% said that they think about the value of money, you know, including how they think about spending versus saving versus borrowing versus planning uh, is different now than in the pandemic. You know, I think it's also important to highlight 77% reported feeling anxious about their financial situation, and another 58% said that their finances control their lives, right? So I think that gets at just kind of how impactful the pandemic and and all the, you know, changes that were going on really impacted the psyche of people as it related to money and their financial kind of outlook. You know, you asked, how does that relate back to some of our efforts around financial well-being? I think that this data, you know, only continues to amplify our efforts around this. Just suggests that now more than ever, people need support uh, in this domain, right? Support in the form of tools and resources that can help make better, you know, help people make better spending and saving choices, support in the form of managing cash flow, access to credit, improving credit scores. Just honestly, at the end of the day, the ability to work towards financial security 
and ultimately, hopefully, financial freedom for everybody. And and so for us, I think the implication is just to continue to offer, uh, expand upon, you know, what we already have in support of the American consumer uh, around all of these important financial decision making. Absolutely. And, and David and I know from working with Capital One for, for so many years, going into the cafes, um, all the partnerships that we've done that, that Capital One really tries to, to help folks in that area and meet, meeting them where they're at with wherever they are in their financial journey. I'm curious from the study, are you getting any indication or even some of the work that you're doing out in the field? Are you getting an indication from folks that they're consequently changing their behavior because of their change in perception uh, since the pandemic? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think there's some indication. So, for example, 48% of respondents say the pandemic has changed their perception of what is a necessary rainy day fund and have increased the amount needed accordingly, which does suggest, right, some some folks are are making changes. Nice. I think that if I remember correctly from the data, they, the, the change has increased about a month going from pre-pandemic to thinking that five months worth of emergency savings was adequate to now six months. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So what kinds of guidance is needed to sort of address the gap that still exists between the change in perceptions of people's money post-pandemic to the actions that they're planning on taking? Yeah, I mean, there there is a, uh, there is still a gap, right? You know, 64% of respondents say that making a new savings goal is a healthy thing to do, but we found that only one in five or 20% of respondents actually made a new savings goal since the start of the pandemic. So I think there, there's, it, it's humans, right? And humans, we always have great intentions and uh, really probably a pretty poor performance history of actualizing <laughs> some of our intentions. I always use the, uh, the weight loss metaphor, right, is just such a great one as it relates to money. Money, uh, I'm a huge student of uh, behavioral science and behavioral economics and the, just the science of decision making, right? So the analog being like how many times have we set goals around weight loss and said, hey, I'd, I'm totally going to lose 10 pounds this year or this month, this, you know, the next couple months or whatever. And then you're faced with the decision of, should I have pizza or a salad for lunch? And <laughs> nine out of 10 people probably choose the, the thing that does not align with their weight loss intention. And so I think, you know, the types of guidance that's required to address this gap comes in in two forms, right? At the end of the day, managing your money and, and closing that gap, it is, it's like it's a very it's a surface simple equation. It's money in and money out, right? Affecting the money in part of the equation is probably like the harder long-term thing to do. It's a systems problem. You can upskill people. There's policy choices being made to to help level the playing field and, and hopefully on average raise incomes over time and all of that. But where I think the behavior change can happen more readily is in the money outside of the equation, right? How, mm-hmm. what are all the ways we can kind of reduce our expenses? And I think there's a bunch of different ways we can get at that. So one, I always think about like, what are your biggest line items in your cash flow in terms of expenses out? Often it's like your mortgage, it's your it's your student loan payment, it's some of those like recurring big ticket items. And I don't know if people traditionally think about it this way, but I think of, hey, building a healthy credit score is actually like one really great way to reduce the fixed monthly expenses that so many of us carry in the form of those types of payments. 
because if you can get, you know, the lowest rate you can get on those items, that's really going to help you make material change and be able to save more and all that without actually needing a recurring change in behavior as much, which I think is like really powerful. It's kind of like the analog of uh, automatic savings from your from your paycheck, right? Like if you take it out before you see the money, you're much easier not to spend it. And so I think there's things like that. And then I do think there's totally a place for tools that help you, you know, understand your financial equation, set a budget, stick to that budget, and ultimately save money and work towards these longer term goals. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, to to go back to the comment about intent versus action, I think, you know, we all struggle with that. And and, and for that reason, I would encourage folks to look out for episode 280 of the Queer Money podcast, where we're going to talk about values versus standards with uh, Coach Fletcher Ellington. We all have these sort of big, lofty goals for ourselves. And then we very often don't necessarily attain them or attain them the way that we would like to. And then that, that sort of compounds on the, the mental health or the emotional struggle that we're already dealing with that particular area of our lives. Um, so maybe that requires for us to sort of look at some of these goals a little bit differently and to look more specifically for resources and tools that will help us achieve some of those goals more easily. Also, Ad, you you mentioned the statistic of 77% of folks during the pandemic feeling some form of financial anxiety. And oftentimes when we're anxious about something is when, when our mind can run in so many different directions and make up all these stories about this could happen or this could happen or this. And then that makes us feel like we don't know which path to choose to make the right decision. I think that's why you bring up this point of we need we need strategies, we need education, and for a lot of folks, they just don't know where to go to get this. Absolutely. And, you know, so much of what you're saying, you know, resonates in terms of a lot of the field research I've been engaged in over the past several years at Capital One, just it can become very overwhelming really fast, right? Under right. even just trying to understand your money, trying to understand your cash flow and getting lost in that. I think there's also like, you know, our research has found in the past that there's a segment of the population that because of that overwhelm, they lose the motivation to kind of address the the challenge ahead. They also kind of, it's almost like avoidance or ignorance is bliss, but it's really not in this case. Like it's, if, if you kind of keep ignoring your money woes, they're only going to continue to get worse. And at some point they're going to be unignorable, if that's the word. <laughs> and so like we always said, you know, it's really important to kind of face the music. I, I did a lot of studying into credit scores and how people think about that or debt payments and how people think about that. And people... You know, a lot of people just don't want to look at that bill. They don't want to. It's just easier to ignore it and avoid it and, and not have to like go through that that work. So the psyche part is really important to getting to a place where you're motivated enough and committed enough because the change is hard, right? And it does take discipline and it does take. And, and yes, there are tools and like, you know, we provide a lot of tools. And, and I think that that's key to this equation. But a lot of it is also just like the intrinsic motivation and desire. And I think that the pandemic then created a little bit of that trigger moment for a lot of people where it didn't exist before that, oh my gosh, things can really go south uh, mm-hmm. pretty quickly and I need to figure out how to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think this is a good, a good reminder, folks, that if you feel alone in having to deal with this, remember that there are literally... <laughs> 
tens, if not hundreds of millions of Americans who are in the same situation or a similar situation. They're dealing with financial stress. They're dealing with how do I get better ha financial habits? How do I stick to a budget? How do I set aside money for emergency savings? All of that. This is a great opportunity, kind of the perfect time to say to your friends, are any of you dealing with this too? Or what are you doing to get on track? Or are you making some changes? Is there something that you're doing that's working? Use your resources in your friends because if your other folks are doing something that works, maybe it'll work for you too. So rely on your friend group, uh, especially now when you're trying to make some of these changes or trying to solve some of these issues we're talking about. Well, I think, you know, I think a lot of us feel like we were sold some snake oil, right? Like I was told, go to college, get a job, and then it's smooth sailing from there. Everything will be easy. And then nobody told me about all this money stuff and all these different components of money and how they work together. And then I, somewhere along the way, I screwed it up. And then to your point, Millie, like it just seems trying to fix it seems too big. I think even for a lot of people pre-pandemic trying to save five months worth of emergency savings, that just sounds too hard. I got to save five months worth of emergency savings. First of all, I need to figure out how much money I spend each month, and then I need to save five times that. That just seems too big on top of the fact that I've got to pay my bills, take care of the family, raise the kids, manage my job and not get fired. You know, I think to your point is, is coming up with systems and having tools to make, make all of that just a little bit easier. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau recommends starting an emergency savings account with $500. Don't worry about the $25,000 you might need to save in the long run. Just get that first $500, take that small step or take those small steps, whatever it requires for you to get to that first 500. And then think about the next step. Maybe it's just, maybe the next step is shooting for a thousand, but just take those baby steps and that'll make it a little bit easier. And you're not in this alone, as David said. You've got you've got your friends group, you've got your family, if you can talk to your family about money. And if you can't talk to either of those groups, we've done this work before with the money coaches at the Capital One Cafes. They have a, a great organic discussion about money that seems very unmathematical, <laughs> if that's a word. Um, and it helps you tap into some of those emotions about money without even looking at a spreadsheet or even crunching numbers. Yeah, gosh, so much of what, what you guys are talking about, I couldn't agree more with. Uh, the point around, you know, putting the topic on the table, again, like our research out in the field, and particularly pre-pandemic, this, this may have been more true, but several years ago, we did some research and found just so many people don't learn about all, you know, we don't teach it in school, obviously, that we don't quite have a robust curriculum in, in middle school and high school, in college around personal financial management, and yet it's so key to everything. And, and you know, what you said about, oh, you get to go to college and, and get a job and everything will be smooth sailing. Well, it's funny because that timing coincides a lot with like, you know, you can't even get a credit card till you're 18. 18 is usually when people are going off to school, or at least establishing some source of independence. And so parents, even the best intentioned, kind of have some new challenges and then passing on kind of the next stage of, of financial guidance and, and management advice. And so finding those trusted folks, either in your personal network or, you know, leveraging tools and services, as mentioned, I think is a really helpful way to both ease the anxiety, like you said, you're not alone, and to create some accountability, you know, again, using going back to the weight loss 
metaphor, like Weight Watchers, as I understand it, one of the most powerful examples of a company who has uh, used behavioral science and economics and accountability systems through group support and things like that to help people stay on track, to help them feel motivated, to reward every small win along the way. So that's super important. And then breaking overwhelming tasks into super small steps, right? Start with the $10 a day. It might take you a little longer uh, than if you went straight for the 500, but it's really about building the habit mm-hmm. and uh, and the mindset so that then you can flex the amount over time. But it's really the, the habit building that's so important here. Yeah, absolutely. And having to stand on a scale in front of a room full of people week after week, <laughs> that's a lot of accountability. <laughs> I'd rather hand over $10 every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, what are some examples of what folks did during the pandemic that, you know, I guess with the Delta variant may even is still continuing, um, that has had either a positive or a negative effect on their financial well-being? Yeah, so one example that stuck out to me from the study was that one in three women, so 33%, said that they made a weekly impulse purchase. And then nearly half of women, 48%, actually regretted that purchase in under an hour. Uh, and for men, that was, that was 40%. I used to joke with my my husband, this was pre-pandemic, I think I had an impulse purchase habit and I would we would put I would always put things into what I called post purchase purgatory. It would sit in the bag <laughs> and I wouldn't take it out and I wouldn't try it on and it would just sit there while I ruminated and felt miserable <laughs> about the fact that I had bought this new dress or this new pair of shoes or whatever it was. And I've since I think cooled it a little bit on that. But it's, you know, I think during the pandemic, people were under a lot of stress. Retail therapy is a real thing, I can attest. And so uh, it sounds like this was, you know, one of the things people turned to. We uh, ended up getting stuck, for lack of a better word, living in a neighborhood during the beginning of the pandemic. And it was mind boggling how many Amazon trucks we would see in a single day, even going to some of the same houses a couple of times a day, we were just blown away. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually kind of surprised that that percentage or uh, yeah, the percentage of weekly impulse purchases isn't higher. But uh, I'm even more surprised that nearly 50, nearly half 48% regretted that purchase in under an hour. I think the psychology of that is, is very powerful. You make that purchase and then you almost immediately regret it. You know, I just I just think that there, there's so much to unpack there, and there maybe there's maybe so much that we can provide people to help maybe create a stopgap <laughs> to so that doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, made me think <laughs> the reference to the Amazon trucks made me think. I wonder if there is really a difference in that with you know because we were also relying on online shopping versus in person shopping. At least when you buy something in person, you take the thing home with you and literally have it with you when you're heading back from the store in the car. So there maybe that that time of like within an hour, I regret this may have to do a little bit with the lack of instant gratification of the purchase. Although we all know Amazon is working to get it more and more instant every day. But it is a really interesting thing. And again, it's totally a place where I think tools can help. You know, we once had an idea uh, in one of a brainstorming session of like, hey, 
you know, if, if people are motivated by these longer term goals, like whether, you know, let's take an example, like, oh, I'm, I'm really motivated to buy a new car, so I need to save for that. In order to save for that, I should spend less. Or some people are motivated by like the judgment of their friends and family for not achieving certain goals. And, and some of that then ties back to like, oh, because you're overspending, you're not, you know, able to buy a house, buy a car or whatever. Maybe you should put your your friends or parents' judgmental face on the on your credit card so that every time you swipe, <laughs> you're like motivated. You pull out that card and you think like, oh, uh, I shouldn't do this. And there's some really interesting, you know, things we've found in the past too around ways in which people create hacks for themselves to curb those types of impulse spending. For example. We have found people put their credit card or uh, debit card in the freezer for a while and they feel they're getting too hot with spending <laughs> uh, physically in the freezer and as a means of uh, not making it so easy to spend. Yeah, when you were just describing that there, I, I, there must be sort of a Pavlov's dog theory going on here where the actual purchase creates an endorphin rush that that we're all becoming mm-hmm. more and more habituated to and then almost immediately we regret that because because in many cases when we regret an impulse purchase it's usually because we either one don't necessarily need it because we've already got five salad spinners or we don't have the money to pay for that and so it probably went on a card and we know all know how that's just going to compound on itself so what tools is Capital One considering or do you do you have that can help someone stay on budget and prevent the overspending similar to what we we're just talking about yeah, there's a number that, that come to mind. One tool that I think like directly helps people save money is Capital One Shopping. So this is pretty cool and, and actually a somewhat uh, like the thing you were just describing in that it, it follows you around the web. So the, the Chrome browser extension uh, is one way you can use the product. And as you're checking out on any you know website, it will go around and look for discounts on the products that you're buying. And yes. either see if there's a better uh, deal on it on another property or apply like promo code, apply promo codes and things like that. So that's just like a really super easy and frictionless tool that can help you with the day to day purchases so that even if you are going to make that impulse purchase, maybe you can at least make sure you're getting the best deal you can get on it. Another uh, functionality that I love from Capital One, the 360 account. So I have a 360 savings account. And so this is one that I think is really helpful. You can create within your 360 savings account sub sub accounts. And so like I've got a rainy day fund within that account. I can, I've got a second fund for a home purchase or a third fund for, you know, whatever other big, big thing I'm saving towards. And it just helps me at least, and in my studies, just like, you know, helps with the cognitive overload of trying to figure out like, what what am I doing with this money? Where is it going? What is it earmarked for? I find really helpful and tangible way to make sure I'm putting my money towards, towards the right, the things that I, you know, really ultimately care about. You know, I think there are tools like uh, CreditWise, which, as I was saying before, CreditWise is a, a product that anyone can use, whether you're a Capital One customer or not, to monitor, to understand your credit and protect uh, your identity. We've got uh, alerts and things like that. I think that's a great way, you know. Ultimately, I, I, I always think about your credit score is is one of the main ways you can ensure that you are getting paying the the lowest price you can pay on these biggest ticket items in our lives, right? The mortgage, the car loan, et cetera. 
And so I always think of that, even though it's not directly, you know, helping you budget or or things like that. It's it's ultimately if you can improve that score, that's like the and then leverage that into lower APRs. That's like the best best way you can save money, I think, in the long term. And uh, you mentioned uh, our money and life coaching in our Capital One cafes and things like that. So that's another way that we help people kind of understand their overall money goals and um, try and stick to some of that on a day-to-day basis. And I'll just share, folks, one of the things I like about CreditWise uh, is I, I've signed up for all of the services that help you figure out what your credit score is, right? Because that's part of what we do is uh, is we look at various services. One of the things I love about CreditWise compared to the others is that I don't get flooded with tons of credit card offers. Yeah, thank you for that. We, you know, first and foremost, the job of the product is really to help people understand their score, improve their, understand how to improve their score, and then hopefully, you know, take advantage of of a great score ultimately. I appreciate that you're noticing the difference there between our product and some of the others. So we talked about the the difference in perception between men and women with the regret of impulse purchases, but I'm curious, were there any other significant differences um, in the results of your study between men and women? And I ask in part because in very very often with these broader studies, gay men tend to, their, their behaviors tend to align with women. And we have a, a large percentage of our audience who are gay men listening to this podcast. I'm wondering if there are any other significant differences that you saw between men and women. Yeah, there were a couple. So for example, almost half of all women, 47%, agreed that they needed a complete financial overhaul. And that's compared to just around a third, 35% of men who said they needed a complete financial overhaul. So I think that points to a little a little more anxiety uh, among the female population there. Another data point shows that men are nearly 20% more likely to classify their finances as healthy. So men would say 58% of men classified their finances as healthy versus 39% of women saying that. So certainly some discrepancy there. Another place we saw a difference is kind of how men and women value uh, different types of spend. So for example, more than half of women, 56%, uh, viewed therapy as a healthy spending choice, uh, where and that's 13% higher than for men. So 43% of men saw therapy as a healthy spending choice. So I think there's different, you know, implications about how women versus men value different types of spend, how secure they feel in their financial choices and decisions and and circumstances. It's interesting you bring that up. Um, I didn't necessarily come out to my family when uh, my parents discovered that I had gay tendencies. Uh, I was still living at home. I was still in high school. And I was sent to a therapist for conversion, so to speak, kind of therapy to try to undo my thinking. And it didn't take my dad very long to start complaining about how expensive it was for me to go to therapy and that he thought it was a waste of money. I, I mean, I'm honestly looking back now, I can't say that that was a waste of money because they were trying to undo something that could not be undone. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think this is such an important topic talking about, about mental health and, and money 
money therapy and or any kind of therapy. Um, it's so, one, it's something that we don't talk about enough, and it does seem that that trend is somewhat changing now, and that may be in part because of the pandemic and so many people were feeling so many different kinds of stressors and anxiety already compounded or what was happening before the pandemic. Um, but we know that people who die by suicide are eight times more likely to have credit card debt. So if you're, and we know that just taking, just creating a plan to tackle a problem such as credit card debt automatically makes people feel better. So if there are tools and resources that are available to help you tackle those topics or any of the topics that are providing you anxiety with your money, certainly take advantage of them. In uh, next week's podcast will be episode 277. We'll be talking about uh, suicide in the LGBTQ community as part of uh, suicide Prevention Awareness Week. Uh, we want to make sure we discuss that in, a, in, in an authentic and holistic way. But this is maybe just sort of we're scratching the surface on that here with this episode. And I think if they had to uh, choose a right or a wrong, I think the women have it right, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> when they're saying that uh, therapy is, is a, a worthwhile way to spend money because your mental health, your your emotional health can have a exponential effect on all the decisions you make. And sometimes when we're not feeling healthy or uh, mentally or emotionally, uh, even physically, we sometimes exhibit behaviors that exacerbates the problem um, and the tools and resources that Millie's mentioning here and that we talk about on the Crib Money podcast quite a lot. Those are the types of tools and resources that can help you sort of turn that around. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things there is sometimes we can get into that short-term mindset and, and emotion and stress can really put us into that decision-making mode versus, you know, the long-term decision-making mode and more thoughtful, planful set of steps to take. And I think, you know, so much of that is really driven by, you know, what's our, our state of mental well-being, our self-care, like all that's like super important to being in the right mindset to make, you know, healthy decisions, both short-term and long-term. Yes. Absolutely. You know, I think when we talk about the impulse purchases and the immediate regret thereafter, I think a lot of us, the words we say in our head when we are about to make an impulse purchase is that this is this is the self-care I need right now. Um, and very often that kind of adds to the debt that we're already struggling with and that creates the debt depression spiral that we've talked about on the podcast several times. In two weeks, we're talking about low-cost forms of self-care on episode 278 of the Queer Money Podcast. And the idea is to find not only low-cost forms of self-care to help with your emotional and mental and financial well-being, but also being intentional about that self-care so that you're getting the most out of it because there are costs that are associated with it. So I'm curious, with that in mind, how does Capital One help its members and the community at large with managing its mental health? Is there anything that you're doing specifically? Yeah, there are a few different ways. I would say, you know, largely coming in in two forms. So one is supporting organizations that that carry this as kind of their core mission and objective. Organizations such as the Trevor Project, which is a suicide prevention uh, support line uh, for LGBTQ youth, and Ali Forney. We also support, you know, consumers and associates directly with certain resources. So for our associates through our uh, medical benefits, there's an uh, access to portal, portal where people can get access to licensed therapists and resources on that front. Uh, we also created a, uh, a group called Gray Matter 
which is designed to combat the stigma associated uh, with mental health. You know, I think so much of that, that stat and the story that you shared earlier was around it is taboo, right? Uh, some of these things are, are taboo. Therapy used to be uh, much more taboo uh, than it is now. And uh, mental health issues are, you know, uh, increasingly less taboo. Thank, thank goodness. But so I think that that's like a really powerful initiative. And then there's things we do, like, for example, in our Capital One cafes, there's events such as uh, yoga and uh, meditation and things like that. We support organization uh, called Black Girl Magic. There's a summit that they host. Uh, it really encourages women to take ownership of their careers and financial futures. Um, one of the things they feature is a money mantra session, uh, which is led by one of our money and life mentors. Those are some ways that we support it. I think another uh, initiative I'm, I'm personally pretty proud of is, you know, during the pandemic, we were thinking about what are ways we can really help consumers navigate all of the various resources, local, state, national that are available, whether that's, you know, in the support of financial aid. So, oh gosh, I, I, I now need childcare and I, I need subsidized childcare options and things like that. Um, we partnered with an organization called Spring 4 and created a capability where anyone can go onto our website and through that portal, put in their zip code and specify what types of services they're looking for. And one of the options is mental mental health resources. And it will pull up a list of local, state, or national resources that are available that you can connect with. So, so I think there's a couple of different ways uh, we try to support folks there. Awesome. You know, folks, we'll, we'll definitely share the link that Millie just mentioned on the show notes if you're looking to find resources in your area. That's an awesome service that you provide to the community. Again, just another reason why we like partnering with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I think to me though, the of all the th you Capital One does a lot of awesome things, and, and and that's one of the reasons why we're so excited every year when you offer to sponsor the podcast because you do focus a lot on corporate giving and, and social impact, as we talked about on episode one seventy six of the Career Money Podcast. So we've talked a lot about the data and the trends that you're, that you're seeing pre and post pandemic, but ultimately, broadly speaking, what do you hope? people glean from this survey? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, I think the hope here is that your mental, that the people realize, right, and, and accept that our mental and emotional states have meaningful impact on our actual uh, reality on the ground now and in the future, right, as it, when it relates to money that just having that awareness to one, give ourselves permission to feel how we feel about that and acknowledge that fact. Two, then start to confront some of that and have the dialogue, whether with ourselves, if that's most comfortable or with others um, or through a service or a tool to start to kind of figure out how to work towards the financial future that you you want. And obviously, it's totally different for different people and a super personalized set of decisions and criteria and trade-offs. But the hope is that folks can take a little bit of comfort in knowing, you know, as you stated before, you're not alone. Everyone's feeling anxiety. Everyone feels, and that's true pre-pandemic too. I think the pandemic just made all of this like so acute and so upfront and such a now problem mm -hmm. that could 
could have in the past been more backgrounded. And so it's a bit of a wake up call. And so now, you know, now that we all have that wake up call, how we can, how can we like kind of hold hands and push through together to take steps towards uh, the outcomes we're excited about. Yeah, I love that. I think I think one of the best things you said was when you started answering the question was being okay with, with how you feel or the situation that you're in. Just give yourself some grace, forgive yourself, and then start to figure out whatever the plan is for you to move forward. Um, we're all, we've all found ourselves in precarious situations, whether it's financial or otherwise, and we can all come out of it if, if, if we want to, and there are tools and resources to help make that easier if for no other reason than to give you some motivation. Um, so with that, that's why we are always excited to, to work with Capital One in any way, shape, or form that we can. So we want to thank you, Millie, for your time. We know you're, you're pressed for time, and we uh, appreciate you sharing your thoughts on this important survey, and we appreciate the work that you're doing not only for um, the LGBTQ community, but also for the broader community as well. Well, thank you. Thank you, David and John, for having me. It was a pleasure to speak with you both. Thank you. Thank you, Capital One, for conducting the survey. It gives us great insight into how people feel today about an all-encompassing part of our lives, money. Thank you, too, for helping to address not just people's financial well-being, but also our mental and physical well-being. And finally, thank you, Millie, for your time and expertise on the data and how we can all use it to improve all aspects of our lives. To you, our listeners, here's your career money takeaway from this episode. We talked about a lot of steps you can take today to improve your financial well-being. And sometimes when we get too much advice, we don't actually take any action. So today we suggest Googling CreditWise by Capital One and signing up for CreditWise. CreditWise is a free tool available to everyone, whether you have an account with Capital One or not, and it'll help you monitor your credit score. Join us then next week when we talk with model and author Mark Turnipseed about his challenges with suicide ideation and suicide in the LGBTQ community as part of Suicide Prevention Awareness Week. And finally, have a great week.